All right, hey, Mark chapter 4, you can turn there. Uh, Mark chapter 4, and you'll, we'll share more again about this at the end, but Mark chapter 4. So let me explain. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, and this has been such a powerful book to me because it's very quick-paced. Mark goes from story to story about Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, and he's basically saying, look at Jesus. Look what he said, look what he did. You decide. Who is he? I mean, who do you think he is? Who, who do others claim he is? Who does Jesus himself claim to be? And so last week, we studied the parables of the kingdom. If you're with us last week, you remember I was like kind of sitting up here on my deathbed, had the stomach flu, and somehow I got through that. Um, doing a lot better today, thank you. But uh, um, we talked about the parables and the kingdom and how we talk about the kingdom of God is like a seed. Jesus is like a seed, a mustard seed. And it looks small and it looks insignificant, but when it's planted, it produces a lot of life and it produces a lot of uh, place for people to come and draw near. So the kingdom of God is small, it looks insignificant, but it's extremely powerful. And so here's the point for us today. Jesus kind of talked about parables in the kingdom, that you and I are to seek first the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is not an option if you're a follower of Jesus. That we're a part of advancing this kingdom. We're part of making people know who Jesus is. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so we're here to advance the kingdom of God. All of us have some sort of role in the kingdom. So Jesus uses parables to describe the kingdom. He's like, instead of me just saying what it is, I got to tell you in like parabolic form to help you better understand what the kingdom is and your role and how you and I fit. And now here we are in Mark chapter four. Jesus just got done with like a full day of ministry all the way back to chapter three. Jesus got done with a very long day of ministry, and we're going to see that Jesus is going to fall asleep, and this is the only time in all four Gospels that we see Jesus sleeping. Only time we see Jesus sleeping is in this story in Mark 4 and Matthew 8. Only time we see him sleeping. And so I want to read this story. Many of you know this story. My, my hope is that this could become fresh and brand new to you again, that we're going to see Jesus be the God of all storms, and there's so much in this passage. We see a sleeping Jesus, freaked out disciples, and yet we see the, the, the storm calm at one word. And so let's read. It's Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On the same day, so Jesus wiped out. Just got done teaching. It's, it's exhausting just doing ministry, helping people. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Jesus never left the boat. Remember, Jesus was preaching and speaking to the crowds from the boat. He just stayed in the boat. He's like, let's go. Stayed in the boat. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But when he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Then Jesus arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith and then it says, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you again for this time to slow down, to read your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to all of our hearts, that you are the God of all storms, big storms, small storms. You're the God of all storms. That God, at your word, they stop. And so, Lord, I just ask for all of us, myself included, the storms we face daily, that there would be no fear, that we would recognize who is with us, who's in our boat with us, Lord. And God, that this story, this, this, what we read here, this event that took place, 
that God, it, we would learn from it, and that we would show faith, <laughs> that we'd learn from it, Jesus, and, and just realize who you are. And so, God, we thank you and invite you here in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Um, it's about eight years ago. I was like 22, seven or eight years ago, 22, 23. Uh, I was living in Florida for now about two years this time, and I was on staff at a church, and uh, me and five other pastors, or six of us, we were actually going on a small boat, like a 32-foot boat, to go over to Bimini and have like a little fishing trip, a little fishing day. Um, and it, I've never been on a fishing trip. I'll be honest, I've never caught a fish. You kind of know that in the story. I've still never caught a fish, all right? Never in my life, have, and that's like a real, I've never caught a fish, uh, ever. I've caught a goldfish with a net, that's about it. Um, but we go on this fishing trip. We take this boat ride over to Bimini. I think Bimini is the closest Bahamian island, 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 island from off our coast. And so we're going to take a ride over there. It's pretty bumpy the whole way for like three hours. We're just kind of bumping, flying and off like, I don't know, it just felt like a ramp every five feet. We're just bumping the whole way. We get there, we sleep overnight, and we're going to go fishing the next day. We wake up early in the morning. It's pretty overcast. It looks pretty bad outside. Um, I'm not a fisherman, but I don't, you know, I'm the new guy. I'm the one they're making fun of. I have no sea legs, or I don't know. So I'm the kind of guy that's trying to figure it out. And uh, we're getting in the boat, and just looked really overcast, looked really dark. I'm like, hey, guys, is this a good idea? Like, I know I might be a little nervous, but should we go? Like, ah, oh, you baby, we're fine. So we're on the boat, and we're the only boat leaving that morning. Every boat's still docked. I'm like, hey, no one's leaving this morning. And then I, I see this guy literally run out with a camera. He runs out with a camera, like, on the rocks, and he takes a picture. He goes, good luck. And I'm like, hey. Do you guys see that? I'm like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this probably. So this is real. Uh, we're on the boat. I, I do trust that the captain of the boat was a pastor. His name is Mark Davis. Love the guy. And so we're on this boat. We're in the, this, the water. And I guess at this time, he had like a radar where you could either look at the fish or look at the sky. I don't, again, I don't know how these things work. But he could only do one of the two. He couldn't do both at the same time. So instead of looking at the weather, we were looking at the fish that weren't there. So we're looking at the fish, and we're just like shaking I'm not helpful at all. I just decide to hold on to this bar while everyone's trying to like, we're all falling over the place. I'm holding this bar and I'm like, I'm not moving. They're like, can you hand me that? I'm like, no, I'm not moving. <laughs> and the whole time I'm like, hey guys, I really think we should go back in. Like, ha you can't handle this. I'm like, I can't. Like, we gotta, we gotta go. And we're sitting there for maybe half an hour catching nothing, holding on. We're trying to even just like mess around and get the bait on the hook. I don't even know if I'm saying these things right. Um, we're trying to do that. And I look over, and it started getting more rough, and I look over, and like my boss is sitting there, leaning against the side of the boat, like trying not to fall, trying to hook some bait or whatever. And I see this wave literally above his head. I mean, it's above him. I look at him, and the wave's above him. And I go, hey, wait, wave! And I hold on really tight. And it goes over a boat and knocks him down. I thought he was overboard because there's about two feet of water in a boat. So I'm like, where's Aaron? I'm looking for him. We see him like get up out of the water. His like eyelids falling off. There's blood everywhere in the water. Our, there's so much water. And this is very, very real. There's so much water in a boat. We start like, you know, I guess sinking. <laughs> the, the tip of the back of the boat's kind of going down. So the captain floors it. He has two engines. Like he floors it. One of the engines breaks right when he does that. So he floors it. It's like, mm, one died. So we open the door. The water kind of spills out. He's like, hey, we should probably go in. I'm like, yeah, like your son-in-law's eyelid's falling off. We, we probably should go in. <laughs> so <laughs> the waves are just pounding on us, and we're like, you can see the coast. Like, you can see the beach. It's not that far. I think it took us like 15 minutes to get where we're at. But it took us about an hour and a half to get back in. And so we're on the water, and we're just like, he would, I don't know, he would gun it to go up it, and then like, I don't know, hit the brakes to like go down. So we're like, nah, nah, like and that's all we do for like an hour and a half. And we're holding, I'm holding on, this guy's eyes bleeding. And like within 20 minutes, we just feel the temperature drop. And I'm not trying to exaggerate. I would think it dropped about 20 degrees, and the rain is just pounding. It's like sideways rain. It feels like, like icicles are hitting our body. We're like shivering. We're like in Florida. We're in Bimini. We're in Bahamas. Like shivering, freaking out. I'm like, what is going on? And then we just start seeing lightning strike the water. Lightning striking the water around us. 
And then I see Pastor Doug Souter, the pastor of Coward Chapel. He goes, oh, Jesus, help us, save us. And he like, starts talking out loud. And I'm like, what is he? He's like, save us now, Jesus. And I'm like, what's happening? Like, I was so freaked out. And then Mark, and I wish you could knew who these men were. Mark Davis is the most calmest, cool, collective guy. He's just like, oh, oh, this isn't good. He said it so calmly. He's like, this is, n- this is not good. And I'm like, oh, no, Mark's scared. Like, I'm just sitting there holding on to this thing. I look over at, at my buddy named Tim. I look over at him. We make eye contact, and I swear, and we talked about this after. Without saying a word, we looked at each other like, I love you, and we're going to die now, and you're the last pair of eyes I'm looking into. <laughs> like, that was kind of like the look. And then we started, like, praying for our families, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, we're really going to die. Like, it was just terrifying. I mean, it's, it drops some weather, so we're just facing this for an hour and a half. We have one, remember, we have one motor, like, one engine's working, and for the next hour and a half, we're, like, we're, like, looking at the water, but going, like, we're looking at the beach, going nowhere, which is the most awful feeling. Like, I'm, like, should I jump and swim? Like, can I beat this boat? Like, there's no motor. So we're just doing that, making little, very little progress. Eventually, we get kind of close to the boat, but not where you can, like, pull, I don't know, dock, I don't know. But we see the beach, and I'm, like, hey, just par- park on the sand. I'm, like, let's just go on the sand. Like, pull your boat over on the sand. Ruin your boat. Let's just get out. And he's, like, I'm, he's, like, actually, maybe I should do that. Like, he's considering it. And we finally make our way, and we, we dock. And, like, all the Bahamian people are, like, you were out there? Like, you were out there? We're like, yeah. And the guy's eyes fall off. He's, like, yeah, we were out there. And they're like, there's, I think it's called a cyclone. Like, there were cyclones, like, in Freeport. Like, three or four men died in the water, like, just an hour ago, they're announcing. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Great to hear. And I just remember that was, I, I never, again, have I gone, I don't think I've gone on this boat since then. I have no desire to. Like I said, I, we did not catch a fish. I still have not caught a fish. I'm okay with that. I have no desire to catch a fish. Um, and when I read this story, I know I can't fully relate, but I really do feel like I can relate. And maybe you have your boat stories. And maybe you have your storms where you freak out and say, Jesus, save us. Literally to the point of, and it's weird, I got on the phone and tried to explain to my wife. I'm like, hey, we must die. She's like, ah, funny. I'm like, no, no, like, like, I'd love to hear your voice. I'm like, I love you. Like, it is so good to talk to you. Like, I really, she's like, ah, you're such an exaggerator. I'm like, no, like, everyone's praying for our families. Like, we thought we were dead. It's very hard to, like, explain, like, how serious it was. And she just thinks I'm messing. Anyways, she probably still thinks I'm joking with it. But I, that feeling of, of just Jesus, the water's overwhelming me. Our boat is literally sinking at one point. Save us, help us. And that fear of just overwhelming, like I know that fear. And honestly, I can't, all of us, all of us thought of this story. All of us talked about this story. We're like, why are we so afraid? I'm like, well, I don't know. Lightning struck the water and there's cyclones. Maybe that's why. Like, but all of us has felt this before. And, and here's kind of the thought, whether it's a, f- a physical, visible storm or just a, a storm in life. We've all faced storms like this to the point where you go, I can't handle this anymore. You've, you've lost a loved one, you lost your job, something terrible, and you're just kind of going like wave after wave after wave, and you feel like your boat's filling with water, and you go, I cannot do this anymore. God, I'm overwhelmed, I'm afraid, I am fearful, and there's really kind of two questions. There's a question we ask God, God, if you're there, do you care? And then God's asking another question to us, why are you so fearful? And there's kind of two questions going on. And, and it's interesting for us, because we do ask, is God there? Is God, if God is there, is he aware how many of you guys like wonder if God's there, is he aware? And if he's aware, does he even care? That's kind of what's going on. They asked Jesus, do you even care that we're perishing? Is God aware and does, he, and does he even care about this? And there's so many important truths we can pull from this. And there's so many things we could talk about when it comes to storms. Because they never would have realized who Jesus was. They never would have saw the power of Jesus if it wasn't for a storm that drew out that power. And it really is true. So often we wouldn't know Jesus in a greater way, in a more intimate way, if it wasn't for the storms of life. As much as we hate them, as much as we're freaked out by them, it's in those times we're crying out, Jesus, you're literally our only hope. Save now. Help. 
It's in those moments we get to know Jesus in a more deeper and intimate way. And there's so much here, and I, and I wish I could just spend a longer time, but I'm not. Here, here's a few things I want to go over with you today. And a few thoughts, all right, about storms and about how they work and what they teach us and reveal to us. Three thoughts, and here's, we'll just go over them. We're going to see Jesus' presence in the storm. Jesus' presence in the storm. We're going to see Jesus' power over the storm. Not just his presence in it, but his power over it. And then we're going to see Jesus' person made known by the storm. And this is what storms reveal to us. We know that Jesus is present in the storm. We know that he has power over the storm. And so often the storms also reveal to us his person, who he is. And so let's just look at the first one. Jesus' presence in the middle of the storm. Can we read that story again, verse 35? It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in boats as he was, in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. And he was in the stern, and I found out that means the back of the boat. Uh, He's in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they took him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Again, first of all, Jesus' presence in the storm. Now let me explain again the Sea of Galilee, because this is not like a sea. This is a lake. It's 13 by 7 miles. All right, It's, it's a good-sized lake. It's a beautiful lake. We're going to go there in two years. You should come. Uh, but it's a beautiful lake, awesome lake. You can go there. There's still fishermen there. They still fish the sea. But the Sea of Galilee is very interesting. If you know just the, the type of the land and where it's at, it's actually 700 feet below sea level, the Sea of Galilee is. The Sea of Galilee, not, not the, just the Dead Sea. That is way far below. But this, the Sea of Galilee is actually 700 feet below sea level. Not too far away, there's a mountain called Mount Hermon, about 30 miles away. Mount Hermon is about 9,200 feet in elevation. Now, I want you to think about this. Within about 30 miles, there's a 10,000-foot difference. All right, so you have, the, dead, you have the, sorry, the Sea of Galilee, which is below sea level, which would actually kind of have hot air coming, and then you have this cold air from the mountains, and it really actually kind of create this perfect like, hurricane type of weather and scenarios. I mean, again, 10,000 feet within 30 miles. So you have perfect storm kind of weather, uh, weather happening here. And let me just say this. The disciples experienced bad storms before. These guys, again, were fishermen. Most, many of them were fishermen. They've had their fair share of bad storms. This is actually, the way it describes it, a great windstorm arose. It's actually like a megastorm. This is something they haven't seen before. And here's the experienced fisherman freaking out, and you have the carpenter who's asleep. The experienced fisherman are like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And the one who works on wood's like, I'm going to go take a nap now. And it's a very interesting story, and, and there's so much I want to point out. And, I, and if I don't point this out, I'm going to kill myself. Oh, sorry, I'm going to say that. If I don't point this out, it's not going to be good. Uh, the first thing is this. There are crazy details in this story that you cannot miss, that you cannot miss. There are crazy details. Notice this. It says this. It says there are little boats. He's asleep on a stern uh, in a pillow. Little boats, stern, pillow, evening. There's so many little details, and here's what I have to point out. It's so necessary for us to hear this and see this. If you and I are reading this, and this, this is a story to us, this is not like we can read this as fiction. We can read this as legend. We can read this in some way and go, this is made up. There's no way this is real. There's no way this actually happened. And this is written in such a way to show that this is not legend. This is not made up. I was reading and studying this. There's this woman from Cambridge University who was studying the Bible. And she says, this is the story for her that made her believe that the Bible is not legend or fiction, but it's actually, it's actually history. That this is a real event. And, here's, and she actually writes about this and talks about this, and here's her point, and I love it. She goes, if you study ancient fiction, if you study literature from a couple thousand years ago, there was never details in stories that had nothing to do with the story. There was never details in there that didn't further along the story. But in this story, there's details that have nothing to do with anything. Do you, know, I never, like, do you ever pay attention that there are little boats that followed? 
there, that Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the stern in the back of the boat. And we're thinking, what is that? Why does that matter? Like, I love how, like, you could just say he's asleep, but on a pillow in the back of a boat. And for her, she read this and goes, this is so unique because you don't have, like today when we write fiction, we write in this kind of way where we will add meaningless details to make people think it's real, but no one wrote that way. So unless Mark kind of assumed how literature would form in the next couple thousand years, and goes, let me kind of assume where literature's going and write it in this way, no one wrote like this. The only reason they would write these kind of details is that's how they remembered them. Remember, Mark is writing down Peter's gospel. The gospel of Mark is actually Mark was discipled by Peter, He's his son in the faith. This is, like, this is Peter's vantage point as a fisherman. That's why I love this story. This is like Peter telling the story. And if you've ever been a part of a crazy event, like I remember that there was one engine. I remember that like the weather dropped and the rain was like sideways. Like I remember little details. The point is if you remember any story, any like, oh, we went to this party and there's red cups. Nope, that's weird. The other, the other party had blue cups. Like you remember little details that don't really matter. And the reason why it's written this way is to say, hey, look, listen, this is not just some fiction. This is not just some legend. This is not just a, a story. This is an event that took place with people remembering those details because it's just ingrained in their mind that way. That's just how they remember it. And I love this because people, and this is this, not just this passage, but this is what, like the Bible has changed so many people's perspectives and assumptions because they think this is legend, this is fairy tale, this is fiction, and they read these things and go, but nothing's written like this except today we write like this. And here's the thing, without getting too weird, it's not just to be an apologetic point, but the point is, if this event happened, how we view Jesus changes. If this event happened and Jesus is the God of all storms, then he's the God of all storms, and that changes how I view storms, and that changes how I view God. You see, it's not just, again, to show us little details and say, oh, cool, maybe it is real. It's actually to show us that God is over all of this. So when we talk about Jesus and his resurrection, and we talk about these things, I, it's funny, I'll still talk to people who go, I would believe in Christianity, but your view on this, I would believe in Christianity, but this pastor over here did this, I would believe in Christianity, but this is going on. At the end of the day, it's, did Jesus rise again? Did these events happen? Did these events take place? Did he come out of the grave? Did he calm the storm out of work? Like, if this took place and this was literal, doesn't matter what we see on TV, doesn't matter what we maybe experience firsthand in the church, bad, we will, we will blow it, we will mess up, we will do a lot of things, but it doesn't really matter, doesn't really change the fact of who Jesus is. Did he die and rise again? Did he have the power to calm the storm? Was this a real event that took place? And Mark is writing it in such a way to say, yes, this is a real event that took place. Look at these details that really don't matter. Because it is funny. Little boats, stern, pillow, evening. Like things that are going to, what's this about? And Mark's trying to show us this is how Peter remembered it. This is how it's ingrained in his mind. And, and I want us to see that the Bible, I love how unique the Bible is because it, it doesn't, it's not that Mark, in, you know, foresaw how we would write and talk today. It's that he's writing down history. And so here's what we see. We see Jesus' presence in the storm. We see them freaking out. Jesus said to them, why are you so fearful? Let's talk about fear. Fear can come in many different forms and categories. Anxiety, nervousness, terror. Like Fear can come in so many different ways. And he goes, why are you so fearful? What, what made you this way? Why are you so afraid of this storm? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who's on your boat? Do you still not see it? Do you still not get it? You know, and just so we do kind of know, uh, if you back then, you can actually... There's something in Israel you can go to today. There's, there's a museum, but they have this, like, Jesus, it's called the Jesus boat, right? Um, it's a boat that's dated back to a couple thousand years. It's not Jesus' actual boat, just to clarify, but it's a boat around his time period. The boat was about 27 feet long, 8 feet wide. We, I think we have a picture. 27 feet long, 8 feet wide. This is kind of the boat. That's a canoe, all right? When you're in that, that's a canoe. That's not like, I'm not going to take a lot of confidence in what's happening there. All right, if there's a hurricane type of winds and there's about 15 people on this little boat, that's terrifying. 
That's not something like, and Jesus is just asleep in the back. And this is how Peter remembers it, and this is how he's communicating it. And Jesus, again, and here's the, the points that we have to talk about. He says, why are you so fearful? See, we like to ask the question and go, where was God when this storm happened? And there's two ways to approach storms. We like to go, where was God? And I, I really do believe God, God likes to ask us, why were you so fearful? We go, God, where were you? He goes, but why were you fearful? And we want an answer. But God also wants an answer. Why were you fearful? I know there's a storm. I know you want to know where I was. I, I know you want to know if I care. But why are you so fearful? And I think we can either entertain that first question or entertain the second question in our minds. We entertain where was God? Why didn't God? How come God? And let's be honest, like talking about suffering and God is difficult. You know, it's hard to bring up any sort of suffering. It's hard, to bring up, it's hard to bring it up when you go, but God has all the power in the world, and why didn't he then stop, and why didn't this go on? And let me say this. It is hard to talk about God and suffering, but it's even harder to talk about suffering without God. It's a lot harder to talk about suffering without God. And this is just meaningless. I'm going to, I have no one to talk to no, one to, no one to cry out to, no one to say help to. You see, it's interesting. In Matthew chapter 7, if you guys remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, three chapters, one of the greatest sermons ever preached, obviously probably the greatest sermon ever preached, and Jesus preaching at the end of, of his sermon, he says, there's two examples. He goes, those who hear this word of mine and build their house upon this rock, they do it, they live it out. When the storm comes, it'll beat and beat on their house, but it won't fall, it won't crumble. But there's another kind of listener who won't build on these sayings of mine, who won't hear my word. They're going to build their house on sand, and when the storm comes, it's going to crumble. And here's the point. The storm came to both. The storm came to those who built their house on the rock. The storm came to those who built their house on sand. The whole idea for you and I is we go, why didn't God keep me from the storm? But Jesus says, both the storm's coming regardless. Whether you're following me or not following me, whether you think, but I'm really close to Jesus, I shouldn't be going through this. The point is, storm is coming to both believers and non-believers. It's coming to everyone. There's going to be storms. And so Jesus says, those who hear my words and build on it, he goes, it's those who will, their house will last. Those whose house will endure. And I, and I want you to hear this because you've got to understand, this is an accusation they're making against Jesus. Can we please hear that? They say, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? Just hear that for a second. That's not really a question. It's really an accusation. And don't we do this to Jesus? Don't you care, Jesus, that I'm going through this? Don't you care that I'm suffering this way, that this person who I love is suffering this way? Don't you care? And they're really kind of accusing Jesus. You know, one person wrote and said, uh, this is probably the most hurtful question you could ask Jesus. Think about that. It, Jesus, do you really care? And, and, and I, want, I had to circle the word perish. Don't you care that we are perishing? Notice that is, the, that is literally the same word, and it's yes, it's the same word in the Greek in John 3.16, where Jesus said why he came. Where Jesus said, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Je and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus is like, well, yeah, I do. That's why I came. <laughs> I came so that you wouldn't perish. I came that so that you wouldn't die. It's interesting, they're accusing Jesus of the thing he, he came to do and he cares about the most. They're saying, where were you? Where were you? Why don't you care? You're sleeping on a, the back of a boat. And, I, and the question isn't, does God care? But I, I think the question we should ask is, where is God? And he, where God was, he was with them. See, the deeper question is not, does God care, but is God with us? And the answer is yes. You see, Jesus was with them. How comforting is that? Jesus was with them. And they go, don't you care? And he's like, well, I'm with you, aren't I? You see, there's so much here for us. Because we go, God, don't you care that I'm going through this? And he's like, I'm with you, aren't I? You know, Jesus' promise of, I will never leave you nor forsake you, first of all, one, do we believe that? And two, if you believe that, does it bring you comfort? 
do you believe that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you? Is that something he just said flippantly? Did he like, maybe he didn't mean that. Maybe he just kind of said, hey, by the way, I'll never leave you. Like, or did he, do you believe that he really meant it? And does that truth bring you comfort? The fact that Jesus is with them on this boat. It's not Jesus, do you care? It's of course he cares. He's with you in this storm. It's not that you're in the storm and he's not. He's with you in the storm. And he's asleep on the boat. And can I tell you the idea of sleep? It just speaks so much. First of all, it speaks of the humanity of Jesus. Can we just acknowledge the fact that Jesus did get tired? This is the only time we see him sleeping. And I love it's like in the middle of a storm. Maybe just like rocked him to sleep. I have no idea. But this is the only time we see him sleeping. It's actually in the middle of chaos that Jesus is very content. In the middle of chaos when everyone's freaking out and everyone's going, oh my gosh, there's water in our boat. We're going to die. And Jesus is like, hey guys, keep it down, please. I'm I'm trying to nap here. Like, and I love that about our God. Because we seem to go, God, what the heck? And we're freaking out. We're going to, and we, we exaggerate. And God's like, if I'm okay, you should be okay. If I'm asleep, you can be content. <laughs> and it's not that God's necessarily sleeping on us. He, he's with us and he's at peace. He's at rest. And I love that about our God. Is that when we're freaking out and we kind of lose it, God's like, I'm at rest and I'm at peace. If I'm at peace, you can be at peace. This speaks of the humanity of Jesus. It speaks of the fact that he trusts in his God. It's, 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 it speaks of the fact that he's not going to let the, the thing he created overwhelm him. He's like, I created the sea. I created the wind. Why would I be fearful of it? And there's so much here for you and I. And the first thing I want us to see, and I hope our heart clings to this, is that Jesus is with him on the boat, and he is present with them, and he is present in the storms. And we need to know the first and most important probably truth about storms is Jesus is present in the storms. Amen? That whatever storm of life you are with, Jesus is fully present. And if he's not concerned, why are we concerned? And if, he is, if he's at peace and at rest, let us be at peace and at rest. This is how Jesus responds to them. Why are you so fearful? Why are you afraid? And again, Jesus is like, this is why he came, so that you wouldn't perish. So Jesus is present in the storm. Number two is this. We see Jesus' power over the storm. Jesus' power over the storm. Look at verse 39. Jesus' power over the storm. Verse 39, it says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. All right, notice what Jesus did, and notice how, how, how uh, efficiently the wind and the sea responded. This is unbel- Jesus just speaks the word, and it's done. Now, I, want, I have to point this out. I have to go back to verse 35, because maybe I, I rushed over this, because I purposely wanted to wait for this point. Here in verse uh, 39, we see Jesus speak, and everything's calm. But do we not see the very promise of Jesus in the very beginning in verse 35? The very first promise in verse 35 is, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus was not like, let us cross over and die in the water. Like, Jesus is like, let us cross over to the other side. And that really, and if you read, the way it's worded is this is a command. Like, we are going to do this. We are going to cross over to the other side. And, and I have to put this in context. Remember what Jesus was just talking about? Look back in, in Mark 4. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a seed. Or the word of God is like a seed. And how this seed works is it needs to be planted in good soil to produce fruit and life. And Jesus is speaking of the hearers. He's saying, hey, the word of God must be believed and received for there to be fruit. So Jesus goes from a sermon to a scenario. Jesus goes from a sermon to a circumstance. Do we see the change that's happening? He's going, hey, do you believe the word? Okay, let's go try it out now. Let us cross the other side. He gives them the word, and how do they respond? Jesus immediately takes the parable of the sower, the sower of the word of God, and goes, now let's go apply it. Do you believe me and take me at my word? I love how he does this. You see what he's doing? Here's the sermon, but now let's go pr- apply it. Because let's be honest, a lot of times we go, does that sermon have real life scenario, like meaning and value? Like, does that sermon that I just heard have real life experience and value to it? How often do we have a good devotional or hear a good sermon or, or go through something and we go, but does that really change my day-to-day life? So Jesus goes, hey, I just talked to you about something, but now we're going to go apply it together. I said, hey, at my word, if you believe it, it can produce great fruit, great life. Now, do you believe it? 
and it, exactly what he said would happen, like they, they didn't believe it or take it at his word. And, and I love how Jesus responds to this. And we gotta, we gotta see this, guys. If Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side, is heaven and hell, is anything gonna stop that from happening? If Jesus says, let's go do something, what's gonna get in the way of that? If Jesus says, let's go make disciples, what's gonna get in the way of that? If Jesus says to us, the gates of hell cannot prevail against my kingdom, what will prevail against his kingdom? Do we, do we not see like at Jesus' word, this powerful thing happens, but they didn't believe it. He said, let us cross over to their side, but they didn't hear that, they didn't receive that. And I think this is so important for us because how often does God speak and do we really believe it and let it sink in and take root and produce life and fruit and just cling to it and say, Jesus, I have your word. This is what you said. I'm gonna, and I think this is so true. Please listen, I heard it said this way. That so often God will give us a promise and then he'll send us a circumstance contrary to that promise. So often God's like, here's a promise I'm giving you, but now I'm going to show you everything that's, it, it seems like that promise isn't going to happen. Here's a promise. I'm going to throw a, a, a million different trials at you to try to see, is your confidence in my promise or is your confidence in the trials or circumstances? And I really think this is like, this is where I feel guilty. This is where I go, God has given us a word and I go, but do I cling to that or do I look at my surroundings around me and go, I'm, I'm perishing, I'm going to die. See, so often God will give us a promise and then circumstances contrary to that promise to see what do we really believe. Do we believe in the circumstances or do we believe in the God who gave us that promise? Amen. See, he, he's, he's saying, and then he says this, simply peace be still. P peace be still. And he, it's basically saying, be calm, stay calm. He's literally saying, be quiet and stay quiet. Like he talks to the storm like a child. I love that. It's literally worded, be muzzled and stay muzzled. Like you would muzzle an animal. Jesus is talking like it's an animal. Like, be muzzled. Jesus said the same thing to the demon-possessed guy. Hey, be quiet. Be muzzled. Jesus speaks this word, and, it, and it, here's the, the response, right? Look at verse 39 again. It says, he said, peace be still. And it says, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And again, the way that's worded, there was a mega calm. Mega calm. It went calm right away. And it, so it wasn't like this storm like slowly died down. It wasn't like we like, see the rain kind of stop a little bit more and more. And it's like, wow, what good timing. And like, Jesus like, peace be still, and it's just done. And imagine like you're on the boat and imagine just seeing that. You're like, ah, ah. Jesus like be still and like, it's like smooth as glass. You're like what just happened? Like that would be so freaky to me. Like you're crying, like sucking your thumb, like we're going to die, we're going to die. Then you're like, why is there a bird chirping? Like, like that'd be so mind blowing. And this is how fast, this is how quick it is. It's a great calm. And we see this, there's crazy power at the word of Jesus. We got to understand that words of Jesus are powerful. We got to understand that the word of God is not ever going to be thrown out there in vain. It, that we know that when God's word goes out, it's going to produce what, it, what it's meant to be produced. It's going to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. And we see his word go out, and we just see it immediately it stops. And, and this, is, this is what I love about our God, because here's, here's what we got to do. Sometimes in life, you guys, we got to do like gospel math, right? Gospel math. We go, this is bad, but God is greater. <laughs> That's gospel math, right? Gospel math is, I'm going to die, my life is falling apart, but my God is way bigger than this. See, like, that's the kind of thing that's happening in their mind. That's what needs to happen in our minds. Like, this is really bad. This is really bad. We're going to die. There's water in our boat. We're in a little canoe. We're going to die. But the gospel math says our God is greater. That's simply at his word. We, we can see that he can stop it. He can do whatever he needs to. We see the gospel. We see the power in a word. And I love this because throughout the gospels, what do you see Jesus do? He speaks a word and, and shackles fall off. He speaks a word and someone's forgiven. He speaks a word and the hand is stretched out. I mean, at the word of Jesus, we just see this crazy power. And, and this is called the, the nature miracles of Jesus because so far in the gospel of Mark, we've seen him have power over the supernatural. We've seen him have power over the physical. But this is the first time we see him have power like over the sea or land where now the, the sea, the land is obeying him. This is why it freaks out the disciples. We're like, well, we thought maybe you had a supernatural power over the spiritual realm and maybe over some physical things, but now you have power over nature. 
You have power over nature itself. And that's kind of what changes everything. And we got to see Jesus' power over the storm. And I love the response. And now we're going to see Jesus' person made known. Number three, look at verse 39 again. It says, He arose and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Verse 40, listen to this. Verse 40. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And it says what? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And here's the response. Jesus says, why are you so fearful? So would you all agree that they were afraid of the storm? Yes. Why are you so fearful? But Jesus just calms it. And it says in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly more. They're more freaked out. They're more freaked out of Jesus than they are of the storm they must died in. Isn't that interesting? When you, and it's true. When you actually see who Jesus is, you go, oh my gosh, I'm more freaked out by Jesus than I am than anything else. Like, when you understand who Jesus is and what he can do and the power he has, and when you really see Jesus, when you're in a place maybe in, in worship alone, you're in desperation, your house, whatever it looks like, and Jesus speaks to you and you go, oh my gosh, do I know who I'm talking to right now? Sometimes in prayer, I'm like, do I even understand who I'm talking to? Do you ever just pray and go, I'm talking to God of the universe? Like, I'm talking to the one who knew me before I was even formed in my mother's womb, who, who even knew my mother before she was formed in her mother's womb. Like, ah! like, sometimes when we really understand who we're talking to and, and who this life is about and who it's for, we go, I mean, I'm more, I have more fear of him than I do of anything else. They're more, fra- they're more afraid because they go, look who's in our boat. Because understand this for them, too. The sea spoke of a lot. The sea represents chaos. You know, if you think of it in the book of Daniel, you see this great, like, dragon thing come out of the sea. There, the sea speaks of chaos. It was never good even just in, in f- fictional terry, like fairy tale kind of stuff, not even for Jews, but for Gentiles. The sea just spoke of chaos and just mess, and, and then Jesus has power over that. And that to them is going, this is different. This is different now. How does he have power over the sea? And I want you to notice something, because when they came to him, they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How do they address him? Teacher. I don't think they're going to call him teacher <laughs> much more. They will here and there. But I don't think they're going to call him teacher much more. Something happened for them. They go, hey, teacher, hey, teacher. <laughs> like, this is bad. And Jesus is like, I'm not teacher. I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to speak, and you're going to see the sea stop. And again, I don't know how people come to Jesus. I don't know what their view of Jesus is, but it, has to, it probably has to change. Even for me, as I come to Jesus, and I, like, I know he's God, I go, but I still don't know if I have a, a big enough, I don't know if my mind has really been fully wrapped around by who I'm talking to or when I do ministry in the name of Jesus, or at no other name given among men by which you must be saved other than the name of Jesus. Like, I don't really know if I fully grasp the power of the name of Jesus. If I fully grasp who the, this Jesus like, I'm still trying to get to know him. Isn't that eternal life? John 17, 3, that they may know you and your son whom you've given. John 17, 3, that's the definition of eternal life. Is that we just might know Jesus greater in a greater way. We might know him more deeply and more intimately, and they're now discovering, they, look at verse 41, they said, who can this be? Who can this be that even the sea, the sea obey him? And, and let me just point this out, because in their, their you know, good little Jewish boys, they would know their Bibles somewhat to an extent, and there's some psalms that talk about this, about the sea, and about the one who has control over the sea. Read this verse. It's Psalm 107. We'll throw it up here for you. It's Psalm 107, verse 23. It says this. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Just listen. Think about the disciples. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. (laughs) And they are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms, listen, he calms the storm. Who does? 
God, the Lord, so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their, des- their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. Is this not written with the disciples in mind? <laughs> like when you read this, it's like describing the disciples' scenario. Another verse, it's Psalm 89, verse 8. It says, O oh Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. When its, ra- when its waves rise, you still them. They're hearing these psalms, who is like you, O Lord God? Who is like you, O Lord God? When its rays rise, you still them, and who stills them? Jesus. And what do, they, what do they do? That's God. That's what's happening here. Do you see what's happening? They're going, oh my gosh, look who's in our boat. How is God in our boat? God is in our boat. <laughs> That's why they're more fearful. Because they realize who's in their boat at this point in time. It's not just teacher anymore. And it's interesting, when you read this, and I really think that Mark, and also Peter, who helped you know, inspire disciple Mark, you cannot read the story and not think of another figure in the Old Testament. And there's way too many similarities. I mean, this story of Jesus on this boat, does it not remind us of Jonah? I mean, does it not remind us of Jonah in, in the weirdest ways? And there is a difference. We'll, we'll talk about that. But, but is this not the story of Jonah? Listen to some of the similarities between Jesus and Jonah here. Uh, Jesus and Jonah, they're both in a boat, right? That's easy. They're both in a boat. They're both overtaken by a storm. They're both asleep in the storm. Remember Jonah's story? He's asleep. Uh, both boats have sailors who say we're going to perish. They literally use the same word. We're going to perish. We're going to die. Both have a miraculous intervention by God and the sea is calmed. Uh, both groups of sailors were even more terrified than they were before the storm was calmed. They go, uh, the storm's calmed. We throw Jonah in and the storm's calmed. So this, this, this parallels are crazy. I mean, again, anyone who has maybe a Jewish upbringing would go, oh, this reminds me of something. And remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. He goes, and a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus goes, and I'm the Jonah. The Jonah that you see, the story that we see, I'm the greater than Jonah. There's all these parallels, but there is a difference. What's the difference? Jonah has to be thrown into the sea for the storm to stop. Jesus, at his word, the storm stops. But there's some other differences. Does it not give us a foreshadow to what Jesus would have to do? Jesus is saying, I know Jonah was thrown into the sea. I'm going to stop this storm right now with a word, but I will have to be thrown into the sea as well to stop the storm of storms. That Jesus would also have to go into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, as Jonah was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus goes, greater than Jonah is here. He might have calmed a storm once temporarily, but I will calm the storm of storms. I will go into the grave for three days and three nights and come out and conquer the death of deaths. That Jesus is the greater than Jonah. That Jesus says, it is finished and it's done. He might calm one storm, but I'm going to calm the storm of storms. I'm so thankful for this story here and how it points them to this. This reminds me of someone. And then Jesus goes, yeah, and I'm the greater than Jonah. Jonah's story was just actually a shadow of my story. Jonah's, I'm not doing this to replicate Jonah's story. Jonah just, it looks like it came first, but my, my story came first. That everything I would have to do and accomplish, that I would have to go into the grave and come out for men to be saved. That Jonah was thrown into the sea that, that people would not perish, that Jesus would die so that we would not perish. Amen? See, the story of Jesus calming the storm is, is speaking of the small storms, but also the biggest storm that he conquered for us. This is, cr- this is mind-blowing to me when I read, the, the Bible is not just written in like, in a way that the Bible is so uniquely written by the Holy Spirit to show you and I there is greater things happening than what you might see at face value. There's a lot of greater things happening than you and I might see. Jesus is saying, all this speaks of me. All this points to me. All this points to the one who would have to go into his grave and come out again. All of this is speaking of Jesus in some capacity. Jesus has calmed the storms with a word, but he would calm it by going into the grave. And I, and I love about this because here's a verse I just want to leave with all of us that Jesus promises us that we see in the Old Testament, but it's promised to us. It's written, it says, when you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. There is this macro way of looking at this and this micro way of looking at this. This macro way is Jesus conquered sin, hell, and death. Jesus, was pe- Jesus perished so you and I could live. Jesus perished so you and I would never have to perish. And there's also this idea that whatever storm of life you might face and I might face, we walk through the waters with the Lord, that we are not alone in this, that Jesus is with them and he has power over it. But again, in God's sovereignty, he says, I'm not going to withhold storms from you, but I'm just going to be with you in the middle of storms. You think, you think I don't love you because storms are happening? It's actually because I do love you, that storms are happening and I'm with you. And I'm trying to reveal to you who I am. They realize who is in their boat at this point in time. And I think some of us go through storms because we still need to know who Jesus is. We still need to know who Jesus is in a greater, more intimate way. Amen? We're going to spend some time in prayer. We're going to spend some time in worship. I'm going to ask as we worship that you can just, maybe just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, here's a storm in my life. Remind me of who you are. Reveal to me who you are. And just as we worship and sing, you'd also get some time to be alone and reflect. And then we're going to end with a couple quick announcements and, and we'll let you guys go. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. We're humbled by this truth. God, I know all of us have had storms, whether really big or really small, but they still seem overwhelming. And they still seem to sink us. And God, we're so thankful that you're with us in the midst of it. We're so thankful that you show us a new side of who you are in the midst of it. God, we're so thankful that you're in the details. That God, we can remember our events of our life and say God was there. And so, Lord, I just ask that you just speak now, God, just even where I know I fail, where we fail, God, I know that you want to take this text even more and just drive it into our hearts. God, remind me, I know either, either we are in a storm or will be in a storm. Remind me of who you are, God, in the middle of that. Remind me of who you are before that. Let us cling to your word that we will get to the other side, that you are faithful to finish the work you've started in us. Thank you for that promise, God. So, Lord, we just want to sing to you now. We want to invite you here now and ask that you just move in our hearts. That Jesus, we'd see you as the God who's over all storms. In your wonderful name, amen. Let's stand.